The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Have you ever wondered why you're not living up to your full potential as a believer? I believe as, as ambassadors of the kingdom, we're called to change the, our environments. We're not supposed to be people that can just speak scriptures. If you look at Daniel, he shined as a bright light. He had that power. He didn't have kryptonite holding him back. Best-selling author John Bevere explains your supernatural ability to start killing kryptonite and start living in the power of God next. I am so glad you joined us today, and I think you'll be glad that you joined us as well. Miss Sheila Walsh is with me. Always good to have you. And great to be with you. And we have an amazing guest and an amazing book. Yes, we do. Superman has his kryptonite, and we do too. According to our guest, John Bevere. Would you welcome John? <laughs> so good to see you. Sheila. Hey, love you. I, I love this very heroic feeling theme you've got going here. Uh, but it's actually very serious, what we're it, talking it about here. It is. Tell us about kryptonite and how we need well, to avoid it. It's amazing. I was writing the second chapter of this book, and all of a sudden I said, kryptonite, uh, it was Corinthians kryptonite, because Paul said, Corinth, he said to the church, you're weak. And I started yeah. thinking, it's kryptonite. <laughs> and when you look at Superman and you look at us, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, he's of another world, we're of another yeah. world. He liberates people, we liberate people. He draws his strength from the sun, we draw our strength from the sun, S-O-N. Mm. You can go on and on, but there was that substance that neutralized his powers and caused him to become weaker than a normal man. Mm. And I realized that there is a very real kryptonite that weakens us. We are supposed to be represent representatives of the kingdom of God. Mm which means we're otherworldly, which means we walk in a way that causes others to be amazed. If you look at the early church, the early church, were, they were known as the people that turned the world upside down. Mm -hmm. That's how the unbelievers referred to them. They had to convince people they weren't superheroes or gods. They had character that was uncanny. I mean, how many people do you know getting large rocks hurled at them go, forgive them? Um, you, you look at, at um, they, they prayed and buildings were shaken. They had the sick, sick in the streets. Cities were being one to the Lord, entire communities. and. I mean, the entire city of Lydda, Sharon, Joppa, Caesarea, or the city of Samaria, the entire region of Asia heard the word of the Lord in two years, and the Bible can't exaggerate. They've got no social media. Mm. They've got no television. Yeah. How do they do that? Yeah. But then I started looking at the church at Corinth. Now, you've got to remember, the early church I just talked about, they were around 30 AD. When you look at Corinth, Corinth's 56 AD when Paul's writing to him. It's 25 years later. Well... They're not affecting. If you research the Corinth church, they didn't affect their city mm. like the early church was. Mm. And Paul said to them, it's because you're weak. Mm. And there was something that was causing them to be weak, and that's that spiritual kryptonite. And I look at today, and I'm so thrilled at all, all that's being done for, for Jesus, for people, you know, in, 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 the, in the name of Jesus, right? But I go to conferences, Sheila, and do you ever think this way? Maybe it's just me. I'm like, great, there's 12,000 people in this building. What about the other 2 million people in this city? 
do you ever think like that? Yeah, sure, yeah. And, and I'm like, you know, this, this prophet comes along in the Old Testament and says to these guys that came back from captivity, he says, look at this temple. How do you see it now in comparison to before we went into captivity, Solomon's temple? Mm-hmm. He said, isn't it nothing in your eyes? Mm-hmm. He said, but the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the former. I don't believe he was talking about that temple. That temple is never greater than Solomon's. He's talking about the church. Yeah. We're going to be greater as far as character, as far as power, transformational power than even the early church. So why do you think we're not always as effective as we should be? Because of this substance called kryptonite. And it is a real, you know, Superman, it's fictional. For us, it's real. So One of the things I wanted to ask before we dive into the real heart and meat of the book, you kind of pull back the curtain a little bit at the beginning and you say that you really felt tempted to put this book down and stuff. I mean, you, you write times. a lot. Six times you thought, I don't want to do this. I've never had this happen before. I've written Why? 20 books. Why do you think, John? I was like, God, I don't want to write this book. I don't want to write this book. Because six times, finally, it was the sternest I'd heard the Holy Spirit all year. <laughs> and he was like, you will. And well, he didn't say you will, but that's the way I'm translating. He was like, son, I need you to write this book. But um, it was, first of all, causing me to confront issues in my own life. Yeah, that usually happens to me. Okay. My now, I too. really get transparent in this book. I mean, Sheila, I was bound to pornography. <laughs> and I open up and share how God set me free on May the 6th, 1985. I'll never forget it because I'm free today. And it's 30 years later. And what people said that a red-blooded American male couldn't be free from, God set me free. I mean, when I was 11 years old, I got hooked into pornography. One of my friends shared a magazine with me and... Um, I remember it went from soft porn to regular porn to hard porn. Mm. And I would sit in high school classes, I would undress girls, and I would have the wildest imaginations, you know. And so I marry Lise. I get saved in my fraternity at college at Purdue University, and then I marry Lise, and I think, okay, it'll, it'll be fine now. Okay, I'm a Christian. I got saved. I'm now married to the most beautiful girl in my eyes that walks the face of the earth. Well, it was just as bad and got worse. And I remember how... I had to address this, and it was something that weakened my life, mm-hmm. and there was freedom. And what, you know, I'm just glad that people love me enough to tell me how to get free. Right. The, the scripture was so clear, but it was a wrestling thing. It, I, I had to wrestle with it for a couple of years until I could find out why I wasn't getting free, and so I was able to share that in the book that hopefully there will be people that get free when they read that one chapter. That's only one of the chapters. Yeah, yeah. Can compare a little bit, though, going through that, and we know that that's not the only kryptonite in our right, lives. Right, right. I'm just sharing a personal story. Sure, me. but right. tell me the, the weakness that you experienced when that was an issue versus the strength you felt when that issue was resolved. You know, we're spiritual beings, let's be honest, mm. okay? You know when the power of God's flowing through you and the life of God's flowing through you, and you know when you're just going through the motions and there's nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going through the motions and there was very little. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, the whole thing is, let's ask ourselves, what, what do we really want? And what do, we, what do we want in this life? Do we want to be near God and walk with Him and exemplify the kind of power that Jesus did? Because the Bible says that we're to walk as He walked. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I've sent you. Can we be, I'm, I'm almost 60 now, okay? I'm asking questions that all of us have, but none of us are asking because we're afraid to ask them. And, I, and, and, and that's what that prophet did. He asked them questions that they were all afraid to ask because we don't want to have to address this. But yes, we're not walking in our full potential. 
You know, I, it, it, it is all about that. I remember um, just recently, and I actually was able to put this example in the book. You know, I, um, my son Arden was in India and he was doing a conference. Well, you know, they didn't even show up to pick him up at the airport. He had flown all the way from the United States. I said, take a cab. You talk about a dad who was so furious. Oh my gosh, I wanted to fly over there and beat them all up. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm We're just being honest, okay? Ministry, really, yeah. I was like, what are you doing? My son flies all the way over, halfway around the world, and you didn't even pick him up at the airport. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kind of manifesting right now. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I remember my son's like texting me. He's like, dad, dad, you know, what do I do? What do I do? And, and, and I had messed up my iPhone's operating system. I could not. I'd write out a sentence and it'd shut down. It'd go out of texting. I write out a sentence and it shut. It took me 15 minutes before I could get one word to stick, but two hours to get one sentence out to uh -oh. Okay? I was so frustrated. Sheila, I was so frustrated, Randy. And yet, you know what the Holy Spirit started saying to me? A hundred years ago, I would have been jumping up and down if I could get my son one sentence in India in a split second like right, that. Right. So what was the problem here? I knew my potential. Mm -hmm. And I'm asking all of us in this book, are we walking in our potential? Are we under the influence of kryptonite mm -hmm. and, and not, not being the best we can in our own strength outside of what he energizes us with, what he energized that early church with? So let's name that kryptonite, though. You say that for Christians, our kryptonite is idolatry. It is. Now, now that image might conjure up something different than we, what you are. We, we totally have a misconnect. So that's why, you know, Sheila, Lisa said to me, what's the elevator version of this message? I said, well, it took me 13 chapters to tell people what idolatry is. And I'm like, how am I going to do this on these short interviews that I do, television? But, you know, it, it, here's the deal. Just make it simple. When you say idolatry... This is where an American's mind goes, Christian or non-Christian, but especially Christian. It goes to sta statues, temples, idols, right, or, or figurines, or it goes to putting my fo favorite football team above Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's idolatry. Right. Okay, well, that's like saying every car in America is either a Toyota or a Mazda. Well, what about the Hondas? What about the GMC? What about the Buick? What about the Chrysler? What about the Mercedes? We've just left out 80% of the cars. Right. That's the way it is when you say the word idolatry to an American Christian. We're missing 80% of what it really is. And so it's like the Holy Spirit started leading me on this study and I found out what a true idolatry is. It it's really comes down to two words. Paul says twice in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, that covetousness is idolatry. Now, we don't use that word covetousness. What is covetousness? It is a word that means a deep, intense desire for some supposed good. The Greek dictionaries, the lexicon, said that it is a self-idolizing, grasping spirit. Now put that on the shelf and let's go back to when Saul, King Saul, didn't obey God. Mm -hmm. God said to him, kill every Amalekite. But Saul was insecure and Saul thought it would be better for him and the kingdom if he saved the king alive and spared the best animals of, of Amalek. Why does he do this? Because if you conquer a nation back then and you have their king living in your palace, he's a living trophy. Every time you see him, he reminds you of your conquest over his nation. If you give the people the sheep to sacrifice to the Lord, your approval rating is going to go up as president, right? So Saul says, that's a better idea. Hmm. So when Samuel confronts him, Samuel makes this statement. 
he says, uh, he said, stubbornness is as idolatry. The word is and as are in italic type. They're not in the original. What he literally said is stubbornness is idolatry. The word stubbornness, that Hebrew word means to push back. So what is idolatry? It's when we push back from obeying what God has clearly revealed to us in order to get what we believe is good for us. Mm -hmm. So the basic difference between the world and a believer, okay, here it is. It can be summed up into this. The world says, I know what is good, best, and right for my life. The believer says, I choose what God says is good, best, and right for my life. Do you see that major difference? So idolatry is when we push back from what God says is good, right, best for our life to go after what we. That's what Eve did in the garden. So when we say, when God says in his word, let's just use an example. God says in his word that the marriage bed is undefiled and the sexually immoral and adulterers God will judge, right? He says that, right? When we go, society says it's better that when two young people fall in love, they move in together, they won't have to pay two rents, two utilities, they won't have to pay all this, they can build for their future, they're in love, they're eventually, they're gonna be faithful to one another. So what we do now is we push back from what God says and we embrace what we believe is good. But the sad thing is what we believe is good will end up biting us. Like that lioness that we talked about when Lisa was on the program of, uh, yesterday or the day before. So, like so kryptonite. It's kryptonite. Yeah. It weakens us. Yeah. Now we have the form, but we have lost the power. Mm. And let's face it, Jesus walks into a temple and everybody's attention. I mean, demonic, every, he walks into areas. Paul, there's, they carry something that speaks louder than anything in the natural and they change environments. Mm -hmm. I believe as, as ambassadors of the kingdom, we're called to change the, our environments, the world of our influence. Whether I'm in the marketplace, I'm in healthcare, education, the government, we're not supposed to be people that can just speak scriptures. If you look at Daniel, he was not trained by the finest teachers and scientists and leaders in the whole world, like all those Babylonians were, but yet he was wiser, 10 times wiser, smarter. He got promoted above all of them. He shined as a bright light. He had that power. Mm -hmm. He didn't have kryptonite holding him back. Mm -hmm. He wasn't an idolater. One of the, yeah, that's worth clapping for. One of the things that really stood out to me in reading the book was you say the truest definition of worship isn't music or singing, but obedience. Yes. And that, that to me is huge. Okay, so in Romans chapter one, you know, the whole thing isn't about the idols. It's about the fact that they knew God. They knew God. Their consciences, he gave them consciences. Read Romans one and two, it's so clear, right? But they didn't worship him as God, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So then it says in the New Living Translation, it says that they began to think up strange ideas of what God was yeah. like, yep. right? So let's back up a minute. They didn't worship him as God. Well, we check out right there because we think worship is a slow song. We think it's when they turn the lights down and we're singing the slow songs to Jesus and it's right before we do the offering or the message, right? right. Or it's a worship service or you, you see what I'm saying? Right, right. But as an author of 20 books, anytime I introduce a new term that I know that most readers will not be familiar with, I have to give the definition, the primary definition, or an example that illustrates the primary definition when I introduce it in that book, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. All right. 
If you go to the first place worship is found in the Bible, guess what? God's the best author in the whole universe. So he's going to introduce what it is. It's Genesis 22, verse 5, when Abraham looks at his men and says, Isaac and I are going up there on that mountain to worship. Hmm. He was not going up to sing a slow song. He wasn't going up to do a service. He was going up to obey what God told him and didn't give him a reason. Why? So the highest form of worship is obedience. That's why God said, I'm so fed up with the noise of your hymns and your songs. Get rid of them. I want a life yeah. of obedience yeah. in, in, through the prophets. Yeah, so, yes. so to connect that, are you suggesting that if we will live a life of obedience, we can have that power that God intends us to have that will change the world? I believe that power is available. I believe we're blocking it with our kryptonite. Mm. So the answer is yes. It's God wants us walking in it. Mm. The fact is we're blocking it. Yeah, a couple of, a couple of weeks back, Pastor Sammy Rodriguez said something that I thought was amazing. He said, when I walk into a room, the atmosphere should shift yes. because of who lives in me. Yes. And there was something about that that just, mm. I mean, I actually wrote it in the back of my Bible because I thought, Lord, I, it doesn't matter if I'm walking into Walmart or onto a platform, because of who you are, because you're alive in me, the very fact that I walk into a room, things should shift. You know, uh, I remember years and years ago, I'm going way back, I'm gonna date myself, Carmen wrote a song called <laughs> An Invitation to a Witch's House. It was all oh, about yeah. a Christian going to a witch's house, yeah. right? Yeah. And it was a great video, but I said to some of my friends, I said, most Christians couldn't go to a witch's house. Mm. I said, because the witch is stronger in their sin than they are in God. See, the reason Jesus changed atmosphere is because he was stronger in his father than the people were in sin. Mm. And so we're called to control the atmosphere. That's why the Bible says when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. We don't rule by electing a godly man into office, although we should do that. We rule by obedience. How much of that is on us and how much of that is on God? God's already given us everything we need, Randy. Just waiting on the us. The grace of God, unfortunately, has been undersold to the church. We say grace forgives us, 100% true. Grace saves us, 100% true. Grace is a free gift, 100% true. But what we stopped telling people is grace empowers us to do what we couldn't do in our own ability. Yeah. When God refers to his grace, he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power. He defines his grace as his power. Mm -hmm. Peter said grace be multiplied to you as his divine power has given to us everything we need to live a godly life. Mm -hmm. So you can't have anything from God unless you believe, right? You could never have gotten saved unless somebody told you Jesus is Lord and Savior, right? Well, most Americans don't know that grace is God's empowerment. So if I don't know that grace is God's empowerment, that means I'm gonna to try to live for God in my own ability. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you, mm -hmm. that's why I couldn't get free from mm -hmm. pornography. Right. I was trying to do it in my own ability and I got more frustrated every day. But when I found out that God's grace was his empowerment that gave me the ability mm -hmm. to do what I couldn't do in my own ability, I depended on his grace and I'm free 30 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that is pretty, I mean, that is powerful. And there's yeah. so much more in this book yeah. that we can't get to in a short interview. And we're going to tell you in a little bit how you can get hold of that book for yourself. But we really, what we'd love to do at the moment is to show you something that's going on right at the moment with so many children and so many families who feel desperately powerless. But because of the power of Christ that lives within us, we can actually make a huge difference. Could you watch this? I want you to walk through this village with me as I just explain to you what's going on here because 
for me it's difficult to fathom and I think you'll find the same thing that it just blows your mind to actually understand what the people of this village have gone through you know the house just behind me and the family that's there they've buried three children three children in the last year I can point out hut after hut after hut family after family that have lost at least one child in the last year not because of anything other than the fact that these people don't have the ability to feed their children. They're not lazy. People in this village have told us how hard they work all day long to produce firewood. They walk for three hours carrying heavy bags of firewood to get to a market where they sell it for enough money to buy one, maybe two meals. Seven days work for one or two meals. This is not a film set. This is not a village that we created stories about. These are human beings. These are real lives. These are children who each have a name. These are children who when they die, their mother and their father, a piece of their heart dies as they bury their child. What do we do, you say? It's simple. We bring mission feeding to this village and we save this village children's lives. Without you, we can't do it. So please, please partner with us today. Join your hand with mine. Join your heart with mine. And save the lives of the children in this village. They need you desperately. I love seeing Isak Pretorius out there continuing this work. Uh, his father and mother, Peter and Ann Pretorius, were our earliest partners. And over the years, we've helped save the lives of countless children. Recently, Isak walked through some of these villages, and you know, you can tell the difference between where the mission feeding program exists because the, the children are happy, they're smiling, they, they look healthy. And then he walked through some of the other villages where they desperately need food. And the solution has always been simple. All these years, it's simply getting food to the right place. We've made huge strides over the years and increased the numbers of children that we feed, over 400,000 a month now. We have built food factories in these areas to provide for the economy, to provide jobs, to train them on how to feed themselves. We actually have an opportunity now, beyond just the mission feeding, to upgrade one of the food factories which will increase the production by 50% so we can do even more. We need you to partner with us. You're seeing generations with me and my parents and Isak and his parents in these desperate areas helping to save generations of children. We are committed because this is the expression of God to go in and give life to people to express his love by being his hands. Will you join us today? Join with Isak, me, all the other missionaries out there feeding these children. You can have a huge impact. Sheila, you've been there. You've seen how effective the mission feeding program is. Right, it's just absolutely blown me away. I mean, I'm, I've never been the same since I got back. And you know, we get so used to TV and fictionalized stuff. This is not fiction, people, this is real life. One of the people um, I was with in Angola said, do you want to see where we buried the children? Mm -hmm. And so I went and it's just, the thing that touched me the most was that every parent had left something on the graveyard. 
For some people, it was an, an empty water bottle, like a plastic bottle or one booty or something just to say, this was my child and they were alive and this is where they are. And while we were there, there were three empty graves that had been dug. And, and I said, you know, are these for people specifically? And they said, well, it just happened so much. And even as we were speaking, we saw this truck arriving and on the back were a mother and father and a tiny casket. And one of those was gonna be used. And the thing is, if this was something we couldn't do and couldn't make a difference in, I wouldn't be here. But I have seen with my own eyes the difference it makes. These moms are just like me. You know, one, one mom who has buried two children said to me, I said, what do you do when you lay your head down at night? She said, I pray this, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. But she said, I pray to God that he would help me shepherd my children. Would you go to your phones and just do what you can? We're not asking you to do everything, but if you do what you can and I do what I can, we can literally change the world for these children. Go to your phones. Please make the best gift possible. In impoverished and famine-stricken areas of Africa, children are suffering. The need is great, and without food, they face death by starvation. With your support, you will help feed and care for children in crisis areas of Sudan, Angola, and Mozambique. With Africa facing ongoing food shortages and drought, we urgently need to replenish supplies and come to the aid of 400,000 children counting on us. Your life-saving gift of 30, 50, or $100 will help feed and care for three, five, or 10 children for the next three months. Please also consider an additional gift to help provide critically needed upgrades to our food factory that will increase overall production by a staggering 50%. This is a $216,000 challenge above our normal feeding budget that could help save even more lives. With your gift of any amount, we'll send you in the middle of the mess. In her new book, Sheila Walsh brings insight to knowing the peace and presence of Christ in the midst of life's inevitable messes. With your gift of $100 or more to help feed and care for 10 children, we'll send you Sheila's book plus the Arise coffee mug. This heat-activated mug reveals Isaiah 61 each time you fill it with a warm beverage, a wonderful way to begin your day. And finally, with your gift of $1,000 or more to help feed and care for 100 children, be sure to request our Determined Eagle bronze sculpture. Please call, write, or make your gift online. It is in your power to do something, so I hope you will do something and do it today. When you give, Ask for John's book, Killing Kryptonite. It will change your life. We will send it to you with any gift to Mission Feeding. Would you thank John for being here? So good, brother. I always love talking to you. I'm so glad you joined us. Thank you so much. I'm glad you joined us. Please join us every day right here on Life Today.
when our surrender brokenness meets God's mercy, power flows like a mighty river. Tomorrow. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.